following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. How tough is Flair to work with? Well, when he was drinking, it was uh, like herding cats. He's very interested at first, but then, you know, 12 weeks in, we're doing it while he's in a car, and 16 weeks in, he's at a hotel bar somewhere. everybody this is a new thing here this is a new thing the newest thing about this i mean i've talked into microphones for the last god if you count my college radio days i should play some of those clips for you oof um it was actually liberating going in a you know little dark room up in the third floor of the student union building and just emptying my head into a microphone. You know, you feel like no one is listening. Now, I know no one's listening with this, but I, when I was on the air at the uh, radio station in, co- in my uh, college, it was like you felt like you were kind of talking to the wall like you look through the glass you could see the other djs in the booth um not in the booth i was in the booth in the office you could see from the booth into the office and maybe they had the radio on in there maybe they didn't um you'd you'd look for reactions you'd say something and it was i had a talk show so and uh you look for a reaction you know okay oh the radio's on in there so then you got a little audience you know then you're playing to the seven or eight people who are sitting around the other DJs sitting around in the office in the lounge, and so then you're playing to them. But then, if no one was in there, if it was just dark, and I happened to be alone on air, I tried never to do that. It was it was death. This is death here, just talking. But um, it was it was just so hard because it it unless you had a very clear image of what you were trying to get across or who you were talking to or who you were insulting. And I was, a, I was a loud mouth. I was in trouble a lot, um, on that show. And, and you wouldn't know anyone was listening until they came up the complaints that whoever you were lambasting, I was lambasting. I, everyone, they, they, the other people got on, they played music, you know, like, here's nine inch nails for you. You know, like, I, I just I don't know I guess they 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 got off on the technology I guess playing the 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 music and then reading a, a spot I don't know that wasn't enough for me I, it was it, it became therapy for me but um, this is is even worse because of the uh, the fact that it's recorded there, there's no reaction so I am talking to a wall right now it's not liberating and it's not therapeutic but it is radio. I guess. It's radio without an audience. I used to do this shit when I was a kid. I used to I used to get out my the boom box and um and record and talk into it. I put my like my little brother on the air with me and do these shows. I was ridiculous. But this this feels this feels exactly exactly the same. But no fun at all. Um Conrad Thompson's going to be joining me in a little bit. Uh, he's our guest for the day here. I usually talk to people 
in the wrestling business in what was called a shoot interview setting. You lay folk may not know what a shoot interview is. Shoot's a wrestling term meaning true. So it was guys in a protected business talking about how they did the things they did. And they were not supposed to be talking about that. So that's why it was referred to as a shoot, something real. So did that for 10, 12 years, whatever it was. But I always had someone across from me. And it was always a tightrope act. Listen, there's times I wanted to fall forward on my face on the floor and sleep, particularly when I was talking about anything near the current product. I had to, those were the hardest. I just had to work so hard to stay focused and appear interested. But most of the time, it was interesting because I was getting people to open up about things they weren't supposed to talk about. So it was kind of a challenge. Some more open books, and we could just kind of take a historical journey. But many times it was me prying and just trying to get the edges off. Like a bucket with a plastic cover, it's sealed airtight, and you can't rip it from one side. You, you pop, bend the end back a little bit, and then maybe you move to the side at about a 45-degree angle, and you try to get a little air in there. And, you, and eventually you do that enough around the edges, and you get the lid off. But that's how a lot of the wrestlers were that I would talk to. So there is an interview component of the uh, Kayfabe podcast. Else, why be here? I'm not a philosopher. I'll offer you nothing to live by. So Conrad Thompson's going to join me today, and we'll talk a little bit about um, he is an, uh, a fixture of the podcast industry. So this, to him, is fun. And uh, producing entertainment like this is fun for him. But the shoot industry, what I swam around in for 10 years or so, I had to, uh, had to define what it was that we were going to do. Because we had wrestlers talking about stuff, right? You had the shoot interview. It came out like 95. It was guys in a long-form interview, wrestlers, talking about what they did. The first one I saw was New Jack, a New Jack shoot interview, right? Wow. That was and that and he was a he was a product of ECW. I mean, he worked Smoky Mountain and all that stuff, but he was a product of ECW. So, it wasn't even really the kayfabe era that he was exposing. So when those guys started to come on, guys I watched as a kid who would protect the business and live the business to hear them start to peel back the edges of of the container a little bit that was fascinating to me so when we came in we said listen you know let's let's take this 2.0 right we put some format in it we had you shoot where fans ask questions and guest booker where the bookers or writers of wrestling product came on and told us how they did that but what was the shoot industry in general the shoot video industry was number one it allowed wrestling to have a future it was a wrestling product that kept wrestling fans interested in wrestling it served the wrestling business 
it was also, number two, a viable payday for the wrestlers. It was a venue. It was a gig. Some of these guys were not as entertaining in the ring at an advanced age, and and this was a place for them to stay front and center in the wrestling business. They weren't on WWE TV. They'd maybe do indies here or there, but you know how many people can you get in the Elks Lodge? This was a place where they could be seen globally on one of our shoot interviews or or a competitor shoot interview, someone else's. And um, they were talking about wrestling. So they were still relevant. Viable payday. And that's the other thing, too. It was a payday. So they were kept... Listen, at worst, they were kept in the spotlight. At best... It revitalized their marketability. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say Jim Cornette. For us, we put Corny on guest booker. And uh, he had done some other shoot interviews, but we started using him in that vein in, in our program. Our, our formatted programming was perfect for him. There was no Jim Cornette experience podcast. So... We took that it took Cornette to the next level. He was the talent that he always was. He's a talker, he's entertaining, he's salacious, controversial. But our format our format and and quite frankly, my sitting with him got his performance to that next level. Now he took it and ran with it. He got himself on the air, on the podcast, and he's now very visible in the wrestling aftermarket. So what did the shoot interviews do? It did things like that. Vince Russo. Vince Russo was fired, quit, whatever, TNA. And we were the next people that he worked for. And listen, wrestling fans have a love-hate relationship with Vince Russo. Another controversial figure. But listen, we used him in the way that was best for him. We used Vince Russo in a way that suited him. And you're going to hear Vince Russo on this show in a few weeks. Very successful podcast. Series of podcasts. Podcast Network. So what has it done? What has the shoot interview done? It's done things like that. Revitalized marketability or introduced marketability. I remember Dutch Mantel, before he went back to WWE as uh, as um, Zeb Coulter, um, he came on Guest Booker. We had him on the roast, Jim Cornette's roast, but we also had him on Guest Booker. And I talked to him about a month after it came out, seeing how he was doing. He said, listen, what, what date was that released? And I, it was some day in December. He said, man, he said, I know. Yeah. He said, my book sales doubled. And I thought the only thing it could be is those guys up in Jersey that I worked with. So what has the shooting review industry done? It's done that. 
It was the wrestling federation for the guys that weren't wrestling. But could you be entertaining? Could you be insightful? Can you come on the air with me? Sit across from me on camera? Be magnetic? Be engaging? Those are the guys that did something for. That's what the shoot interview industry did. Speaking of the shoot interview industry, kayfabe commentaries. You may have heard of them. Hope you did. That's where you've seen my face and my hair, my expanding waistline, everything else you guys like to talk about in the uh, you, you should YouTube comments. Kayfabe commentaries. Leaders in the shoot interview industry. Titles like You Shoot, Timeline, The History of WWE, History of WCW, History of ECW. All those shows, Kayfabe Commentary shows. You see the clips all over YouTube. Kayfabe Commentaries was the one. We were the ones that did it. We changed it. We severed, set everything up for tomorrow. Head over to shootinterviews.com. Shootinterviews.com. $5 DVD sale going on now. It's all going digital, guys. It's going to be streaming, downloading, and on-demand only. So we are unloading the DVDs. They're going. Emptying out the warehouse. Five bucks. A ton of titles are already sold out, so you got to get over there fast. To shootinterviews.com. We changed the shoot forever. You know what it is, Conrad? We do kind of the same thing, right? I mean, in essence, we, first of all, we talk to wrestlers. We work with wrestlers. We um, we coach wrestlers out of their shells in their protected world. And we bring it to mass market. So naturally, because we kind of do the same thing, maybe people think we, we've got heat because we're... I guess, right? I mean, could it be that? I don't know. I think it's just a reach. You know, I think everybody in wrestling wants everyone to have heat with someone else. It's a fun subplot. But no, long before I had a podcast, I was buying kayfabe commentary DVDs. Yeah. So no, big supporter of everything you do. And I bought your book. And no, I'm 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 a fan, man. It's not the opposite. It's uh, I'm all I'm all for you guys. Look how far they have to reach to create some shit when they get bored with what's on TV. The, the, right, the, right, the, yeah. The two guys <laughs> in the wrestling aftermarket <laughs> in a steel cage of you know the you know a sharpened microphone match. It could be worse though. It could be anything with Baron Corbin, right? Right. Listen, what attracted you to the wrestling aftermarket? I mean, did you did you ever want to be like a worker or anything? Oh no, total accident. I um, I've subscribed to the Wrestling Observer since 1997, and of course got into tape trading and watched all the shoot interviews and loved what you guys were doing. And then uh, in 2013, no, it was 14. Yeah, sometime in 14, uh, Flair got an offer to do a podcast and asked me to come in on his first episode and ask him fan questions. And I agreed to do that. And at the end of the show, he dug it and CBS dug it. And I became an accidental podcaster. And I sort of fell in love with the medium and the business side of podcasting and thought, Hey, I think, uh, I think this could be fun. And it's an opportunity to make some money and sell some mortgages. And I signed up a bunch of dudes and 
now I have four and going on five podcasts, which I never would have predicted. It wasn't the goal. It's so hard, though, Conrad, the, the, the podcast. I did radio in college, and I, I have a background in entertainment, so the, I was comfortable with the camera. But it, I find it so difficult because it's one-dimensional. And you know what? If you sit me next to Baron Von Raschke, okay, I, I, can, I can kind of make an interesting afternoon out of it. Okay. I have to make him the straight man and I and I have but I if you put me on the air with him on the phone or connected by Skype, I'm done. I'm done. There's no fucking way that that can be entertaining. I find this much harder. Would you agree? Well, I've never done what you did, so I can't really speak to that, but I do know that you've got to have a good dance partner, and I've been fortunate in that Tony Schiavone and Bruce Pritchard and Jim Ross are entertaining, and Eric's more of an analytical guy, so that's more of my business show. But the other guys are, are great storytellers and have big personalities. But to your point, no, I don't think you could do this with a Baron Von Raschke, and that's the reason I sort of moved away from the standard podcast format, which is, hey, if you're doing a wrestling podcast, you have a different guest every week. I realized very quickly on the Ric Flair show that that's not a sustainable model if you're trying to sell advertising because fans will sort of pick and choose what they're listening to mm-hmm. based on the guest. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have some more consistency. And I moved away, and we just sort of did a deep dive on one specific topic, and now we're rolling. How tough is Flair to work with? Well, when he was drinking, it was uh, like herding cats. Yeah. But now that it's not, it's it's a lot easier. But yeah, back in the day when we were first trying to do the podcast, he's very interested at first, but then, you know, twelve weeks in, we're doing it while he's in a car, and sixteen weeks in, he's at a hotel bar somewhere and Yeah, yeah, that's you know, the the thing that turned me off to, to some of the wrestling podcasts, um it seemed like there was a deluge of them and Many times it seemed like it was one guy, a fan, dragging a wrestler through an interview weekly. Like, it's got the wrestler's name on it, right? Like the Jim Powers podcast, right? And and I'm the host guy who's always been a Jim Powers fan, so I convinced Jim Powers to do a podcast with me. He says, all right, brother, well, if you're going to handle it, that's fine. We'll do the podcast. So, And it's 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 me dragging Jim Powers through an interview every week. It just sounded like the guy, the, the talent sometimes didn't even want to be there. It was like a disrespect to their own product. And then ultimately anything you put out, that's not uh, respectful to the fans, a disrespect to the fan. No, I can't disagree. And I think you've seen a lot of those podcasts go away. Yes. Because a lot, a lot of the, the quote unquote boys had the attitude of, you know, if you build it, they will come and there's more to it than that. You know, you've got to have a real, you know, promotional effort and, and the content's got to be good. You know, your name may get a download or two to get you started, but they're not coming back if the content's not good. So there's got to be a real effort. And I think a lot of guys in wrestling have just sort of become numb to, um, I don't know what fans really want. I think. A lot of a lot of old wrestlers think, oh, I'll just turn on the microphone and talk, and they'll love it. Well, that's not always the case. It's got to be good. And they're not really conscious of that, and since they're not starting out making a bunch of money, they're going to put in not a bunch of money's worth of effort. 
And that attitude of, Hey, uh, make me the manager and I'll start showing up on time. Doesn't really work for me. Like you got to put the effort in first and then the revenue will follow. But a lot of wrestlers maybe miss that lesson. So they yeah. do, you know, four or five, six months worth of podcasts and then it goes away. And every time it goes away without exception, it's because they weren't making any money, but it's sort of chicken in the egg. Would you have made money if you gave a shit? Is the, is, is it oversaturated? Is the ad dollar disappearing for the average podcast? Is it really just like that top echelon um, taking home the coin in ad revenue like the Austins and what? And then everybody else kind of – is it like a WWE scenario where it's like just them and everybody else fighting for the table scraps? Well, you know, you, you got to realize uh, all of these ads are really coming from about five ad agencies. So – you know, they're buying a CPM, which is a cost per thousand. I know you know, but some of our listeners may not know, yeah. of of maybe $10. So for every thousand listeners, you get $10. So if you have 5,000 listeners and you do an ad read, that's 50 bucks. And then they chop it up between whoever's hosting your site, you know, like an audio boom or a mid roll or a Westwood one or whoever and yourself. And if you, if, they, if you then split it off with a co host, on that $50 ad read, you and your co-host are going to chop up like 25, 30 bucks. Yeah. So if you have three of those a week, woo, you made $30 for doing the podcast. So no, there's no money at that level, but when you get to that $100,000 mark, you can start to make some real money. And if you're not hitting 100,000 downloads, you're in it for the love of the game. Yeah, right. So it is kind of it's that es- it's that top echelon or people with yeah. a, with a following, you know. Um how do you choose the talent that you choose? I mean, you mentioned the flair thing. Um, why Eric? Why Bruce? Well, I think Bruce was just the most entertaining storyteller that I'd ever met in wrestling. And he was completely divorced from wrestling. It was in his rearview mirror. And he never thought he was going to do anything in wrestling ever again. And I eventually convinced him that his ability to tell stories and his wit and timing and his ability to do these silly impressions and really be able to sort of take the fan, the listener, into that booking room with Vince, Bruce, and Pat in the late 80s and early 90s was just invaluable. So I thought there was something there that I would buy. So I convinced him to do it, and it it blew up far beyond our imagination. And from that success, I thought, man, this is working for the WWF side. Let's just spin off into the WCW side. So I wanted to do that with some, uh, Eric, I think at that time wanted to do it with me, but he was already doing another podcast with Nick Houseman and I wanted to do it with Tony Schiavone because Tony Schiavone, much like Bruce Pritchard had wrestling in his rearview mirror. He wasn't doing podcasting. He wasn't doing shoot interviews. He wasn't writing a book and people sort of had a perception of both Bruce and Tony that they were bitter and old and angry and, you know, stooges or yes, men or whatever. But I saw Tony hold court at the NWA Legends Fan Fest, and he was just the most foul-mouthed individual I'd ever met in wrestling. He's the Bob Saget of wrestling. And I thought, this is another side and another dimension that people haven't heard before. So I sent him a real business plan of of how we could make money and how I had been able to do it with uh, something to wrestle. And it just so happened to be when he was trying to raise some cash to pay for a daughter's wedding. So I convinced him to do it. And based on that success, Eric Bischoff, when his podcast finally petered out, he said, hey, what about with me? And I thought, okay, this is another level because Tony's show very quickly became a watch-along format 
because I realized he just didn't have a lot of the inside information like Bruce did, but he could still be entertaining and funny. So we just gave it a fresh coat of paint and made it a true mystery science theater type uh, concept. And then with Eric, we just talked about everything we were doing with Bruce, except he doesn't have the big personality Bruce does. So we take a more serious slant. We take a real serious look at the business and analytics. And then I met with Westwood One earlier this year, and they asked if I would consider working with uh, Jim Ross. And I said, absolutely. So I pitched Jim, and Jim loved the idea. And now we're getting to do deep dives with Jim, and his show has multiplied in downloads as a result, not because of me, but because what Jim Ross fans really want to hear is more Jim Ross. As much as they may like Jay Lethal, and they may be interested in what Jay Lethal has to say, they'd rather have Jim tell his stories that they grew up on Rather than Jim talk Jay Lethal about, you know, selling in 2019 and Ring yeah. of Honor. So yeah. Th- that's worked. That's been the formula. Is it, do you, the question I used to get all the time, which was valid for years, was well, where's, the, where's the shoot interview going to go? Like, what, w- once you cover everything, you've had everybody on, what's it going to become later? And my honest answer was that. We'd always find a, uh, a, a concept or a format for the shoot. It's just, the, just the fact that it's a shoot interview, it, it doesn't have to be beholden to one type of programming. That's So we did U-shoots and timelines and everything. So I said, well, we'll just continue to do that. It's, we're just taking wrestlers which are, who are great storytellers and the most entertaining people, and we'll just put them in different various forms of filmed entertainment. And I was wrong. I was wrong. I thought that that there would come a natural evolution to the shoot. But I think it just got tiresome. Do you think about what is the JR podcast going to sound like in four years to keep that revenue stream as abundant as it is now from an advertising standpoint? I think in time it becomes more about the co-host relationship and less about the topic. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to move away from the, the guest format is because I realized people were sort of picking and choosing based on who that guest was. However, when we remove the guests, eventually they're just going to listen for Bruce and I. And so my best example of this is Howard Stern. I never decide that I'm going to listen to Howard based on who the guest is. Right. I'm in the car and there's no kids in the car. I'm going to listen to Howard Stern. And if it's something I've heard, I'll change it and listen to something else. But if he's on and it's new content or maybe new to me content and I can listen to it, I will. Right. And it doesn't matter if he's interviewing a guest like he had Orlando Bloom on this week, I think. I'm not the biggest Orlando Bloom fan, but I'm a Howard fan, so I'll listen because I'm into Howard. But it's okay if there's no guest. If he's just busting Gary's balls, that's good for me. I prefer that, actually, to the guests. Yeah. I prefer anything to his show in the last few years. But anyway, um, that's very similar to my thinking with the series-based programming. Nobody had been doing, like, shoot interview series. It was just a guy would come on. It was that static frame, the head on the platter, and they rapid-fire questions at him. So we decided to to do You Shoot, where it was fan questions, guest book, or something. And that was the thinking, that if we had, if we lit it, similar within each series if the music was the same within each series and we stuck to a format they'd have someone would become a fan of guest booker they become a fan of listening to wrestling's writers 
do it live on camera and talk about their philosophy. Almost didn't matter who was on. If you're a fan of Law & Order, nobody goes, well, who's the guest star this week? You're a fan of the sensibility of the show and what you expect from the show. So, yes, you're 100% correct with that. But but will you have to tweak for, format? Will you have to shake up the game somehow? Could it just be the JR and Conrad banter for 10 years? Well, no, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that there's ever been a wrestling podcast last 10 years. And uh, all my podcast co-hosts are in their 60s. So, <laughs> yeah. But, no, listen, we're having a fun time. You're killing off your, your, ho your hosts. Listen to you. Well, I don't mean to. But, <laughs> but you know, it's funny because when, when everybody got jobs in the last year or so, Dave Silva, who's like one of my my, my right hand man on the podcast, he's like, "What are we gonna do if they if they sign another contract at the end of this one?" And I just laughed and said, "These motherfuckers are sixty. This is their last contract. Like, the, mm -hmm. we don't have to worry about them re upping. Like, this is it. They're going home after this." And I mean, I, I sort of always imagine that that would be the result. These guys would say, "Hey, I'm just gonna uh, pack it up and thanks for the cash and appreciate the memories, but I'm done." So. You know, that's the reason I get lots of questions all the time. Like, oh, with all these podcasts and all the stuff you're doing in wrestling, why don't you quit your day job? Well, because there's an end. I don't know when, but I just know that this won't last forever. I mean, we've had such an incredible wave with something to wrestle. I mean, eventually, the other shoe has to drop. This thing has to come to an end. So I've never had both feet in the podcasting space because I know that you know, this uh, podcasting wasn't really a, a viable uh, income opportunity it wasn't a lucrative career 10 years ago i don't know what it'll look like in in 10 years from now and you know will it be more video i mean will we all still have iphones like how will we be consuming i don't know so i'm i'm not ready to just sort of throw my whole family into this podcasting world just yet right let me go to twitter some questions coming in here um brett uh potazinski God, that's the toughest thing about doing you shoot the fucking names. Um, since you've been doing the podcast, has anyone approached you taking grievance with something you or one of your co-hosts said about them? If so, who? Yeah, I'm sure that's happened. I know that uh, not too long ago, Daphne was pretty fired up about something we said on a podcast in 2016. I guess she just found it this year, and she took to Twitter to refute that. And I know Vince Russo is uh very upset with us and i don't think uh he acknowledges bruce or i anymore and i'm sure we both lose sleep about that uh there's probably been a few others i think once upon a time dustin rhodes may have been mad at bruce i'm not sure but yeah we've definitely annoyed some folks here or there bill goldberg has me blocked so he's probably not a fan what did you do I don't know. I probably just told the truth that Goldberg fucking sucks or something like that. You know, that he kicks everybody's head into the third row and he was the WCW ultimate warrior and he was dangerous and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Just told the truth. You know, he choked out Evan courageous because Evan didn't want to shake his hand after he got done playing with his dick or something like that. Just, you know, general truths. Right. Uh, Jason Worthing, how much, uh, how much of his own time does Conrad invest in all his podcasts weekly? Um, yeah. How much time does it take to put them all up? Well, I mean, every show is probably at least two hours. So there's eight right away. And I probably have at least that in research. 
so I'm going to round up and say probably 20, 25 hours a week. I mean, it's, it's a pretty real deal, full-time or part-time job. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're you're very much in the minority. You know that. I mean, people have heard me talk about podcasts, but you got to listen to what I'm saying. A lot of people do not put in nearly that much, Conrad, and and it it becomes you know they go live with a mic and it just becomes this stream of consciousness vomit, and and it's it's put out there. There's got to be a, a such a distinguishing. Uh, like a line in the sand, guys like you that put in that amount of time, that prepare, whose shows go on and sound professional broadcast quality, and then, you know, the basement denizens, it's it's kind of like the indie film movement when it first started. You know, you, you got some nuggets and you got people who normally wouldn't be able to get past the gatekeepers of a Paramount or a Universal who got to, like, make their movies and tell their story. But, God, you had to sit through such shit kind of the same thing no it is and again i think um you know when we started talking about this at the top of the show i said you know, if you get to that hundred thousand download mark you're really making money and if you're not you're probably just doing it for the love of the game those guys were hobbyists and i hope they're having a good time but it's sort of akin to someone who you know does a fashion show this saturday morning at the local mall saying they're a model the same way kate upton is but you know what they occupy the same three inches on on everyone's iphone as you do when we scroll down shouldn't they just get the hell out of the room let no, the, i think let the big I boys play the, i'm not as concerned about what else is out there as, as i am about who's listening to mine and as long as i'm getting more downloads than the inches i care about are on my tax returns very good. Caseman04, if you were on an Alaskan cruise with Manny Fernandez, what type of excursions would you go on? Would you dress up for the captain's dinner? This is a solid question. I would definitely dress up for the captain's dinner uh, because I need to get that molten lava cake or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as the excursions, I'm probably going to do something water-based. You know, fat is buoyant, so I'm going to go water-based. Right. Very good. You know what? The two of you in Speedos, that that's the home run, you and Manny. That's printing money right there, really. The Grease would like to know if Elvis faked his own death. No, I'm going to say no. I, uh, I don't know why you would want to fake your own death when you're just covered up in Cooter 24-7. You know, if you had access to all the good drugs and all the cash in the world and women were just lining up to service you, I don't think you would fake your own death. Are you one of these guys that like thinks everything's a work? Clearly not the Elvis thing, but how about everything else? No, I mean yes and no. I mean I do think there's some things a work. I don't think the screw job was a work. That's mm-hmm. what we're. I didn't think the belt getting stolen and a Longhorn Steakhouse was a work. Right. You don't think Montreal, huh? No, I don't think that's a work, and I don't think that just because I've talked to enough people. Like, not when we were recording, just when we were being, you know, drinking, hanging out. I don't, I don't think that was a work. Now, of all the things that you could debate that would or could or should have been a work, that is the one that makes the most sense that would have been a work. But just based on testimony from folks who were there, I just can't imagine. Because it's so hard to keep a secret in wrestling. Well, you know? I've t- yeah, I mean, I've talked to I've talked to Bruce. I did a show with Bruce about it. His guest booker was called Screwing Brett. Um, right. I've talked to Brett. I told Brett. I had to, to his face during a, a break in the shooting, like... 
just to kind of keep face with the crew. I was like, oh, God, I've said this on air so many times, I'm going to have to fucking say it to his face. So I waited till we were off camera, and I said, just let me explain why I feel this way, <laughs> Brett. But um, I just it just worked out so well for everybody. I agree. I and, mean, and I want to know why the camera cut to Brett's face when the bell rang and not Sean's. That is the best argument possible, but just based on what I've heard from everybody else, I'm not, I'm not sold on it. But that is the one that is most likely of all the silly scenarios. Like you know, I heard somebody theorize once that Bruiser Brody getting stabbed was a work, and he wasn't really dead. I'm like, hey, what the fuck are you talking about? But, yeah, that's just silliness. PF says to both Sean and Conrad, what has been the most rewarding experience in your time conducting interviews and podcasts in the business? You go first. Uh, Bruce being right down the hall from Vince McMahon. I mean, that's just, I can't describe how excited I am for Bruce and for Eric and, and most recently Tony, you know, Tony's working at Starbucks when I met him and, and Bruce was, you know, working in an attorney's office is like an office manager. And these guys were so far removed from wrestling. And, you know, this just the, the idea that through the podcast, they sort of became part of the lexicon of wrestling again and, and had those opportunities and are now making more money than ever. And they're in their best jobs they've ever had and enjoying themselves. Like there's no monetary value for that for me. That's the coolest. Very good. Uh, for me, the most, re most rewarding, I don't know, I mean, I got, I got to work with people like Piper shortly before he died. I, uh, Gary Hart the night before he died. So it, it just to be able, I guess, to chronicle people and you know what, my, my Bruno San Martino experience, which I won't go through the whole thing here. It's in the book and it's been told a million times. His just the most honorable guy I, I'd ever met who kept a commitment to us to do our edition of Timeline when he was sitting in Titan Tower in Stamford, and they said, um, you know, you can't do any video. And he said, I, I, I shook somebody's hand in New Jersey, and I have to do that video. Guys would push their mothers down the stairs to get that Hall of Fame thing. And if WWE said no more, they'd be like, okay, but to this little shitty company, not a shitty company, I'm shitty, just a shitty guy who ran some company in Jersey for – and he called me when he left and he said, I, I just want you to know the figure that I told them you were giving me was much bigger. So because they were asking how much he was getting ostensibly to probably buy out the commitment. Sure. But that was that was incredible. That was nice to uh, to experience honor in the business. Uh, let's go back to Twitter. There's some more stuff here. Um, Jimmy Banana Hammock says it's a shame you have to book conventions. He wants to hear an audio version of the dick bag. What does that have to do with conventions, though? Oh, I guess that you wouldn't dick anybody. You wouldn't put anybody in the dick bag because you'd want them for a convention. Is that? What oh that no, means? no. I'll play it right now. I'm in. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll prepare one for you next time. I didn't know if you would. Uh, someone called us the new Mega Powers. Thank you very much, Dan Young. We'd have to wear yellow and red, though, right? Wouldn't we? I have red. I don't look good in yellow. I'm going to let you do that. No one does. Brian Ibarra, uh, biggest challenges you face with each individual podcast? Uh, finding time with Bruce Pritchard. 
keeping a stream synced up with uh, Tony Schiavone. <laughs> Uh, making Eric Bischoff entertaining when he's super ornery and dry and keeping JR from putting ice in his glass. Oh, does he, does he relax with the cocktail during the uh, tapings? I think uh, every day right now is um, Moscow Mule Day. Okay. You know, they, they, just to a person, they're all better when they're drinking. Can we just say this? This is true. I would not disagree. Um, the, you know, the difference in, you know, the honky tonk man was our first Yushu guest. And then we brought him, we brought him back for a few times, a, a second Yushu and then a timeline. And then I think a super card was his last one. And he, and props to him for, for, I guess, getting off the sauce, but from an entertainment standpoint, it was, there was an inverse relationship. It's terrible of me to say that, but I'm, I can't lie. Conrad, what's your favorite kayfabe commentaries release? Benny Douglas would like to know. Probably the uh, Jim Cornette timeline of 1997. My favorite year in wrestling, and I still use a line that I heard him say on that, where he said, uh, talking about the Royal Rumble, he said, sometimes you have a show that needs a dome. This time we had a dome that needed a show. I thought that was great. He's full of them. Do you, how do you, do you get along with uh, Jim? Yeah, we get along fine. I know he doesn't always like all my co-hosts, but no, I get along fine with him. I don't think his co-host necessarily is a big fan of my podcast, but that's another topic. I've never met him. I listen to all his stuff. They do a great job. Whenever I'm flying, my go-to download is Corny's Drive Through. I think it's who's his. Who's he with on that? Brian Last. Right. Okay. Right. Arcadian Vanguard. He's got a series of shows, and they do a great job. And some of my friends absolutely. I love his stuff. And I get confused for him a lot. Like I'll get tweets like, Hey, when are you going to do this on the stud cast? And I'm like, wrong guy, buddy. That's Brian. Um, he had that. Did you listen when he had Alice Radley? Yeah, that was painful. Then she, then she kind of went nuts, right? Did you hear any of this? She did go nuts for sure. Yeah. Am I wrong in saying she was, she was started texting inappropriate pictures to people in the business? Yeah, I believe they were booby picks, but there may have been more to it than that. Yeah, I think it was down south, as a matter of fact. Uh, I don't know who wanted to see that. Some of the hey nanny nanny. Right, very good. Uh, Benny Douglas would like to know, in your opinion, uh, who would be the ideal podcast partner to work with that you haven't yet? Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman just knows how to stir it up, knows how to be controversial. Um, I think Paul would be tremendous. And I think an underrated one that a lot of people would probably groan at the idea of, but they would really dig would be Michael Hayes. You know, Michael Hayes is such a character. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's almost like he would be your Howard Stern and your Beetlejuice at the same time. Yeah. They wouldn't, they wouldn't need you though. You just have to wind them up and get out of the way. It was like interviewing Cornette. There you go. Uh, Favorite year in professional wrestling? I think you just said it was 97, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. 97 and 89 are my two favorites. You know, I um, I can't name the years that we're in right now because that just feels weird. But I think 2018 with All Out and then, or All In rather, was such a cool year. Now that all my buddies have been hired this year and AEW has become a thing, 2019 may pass it. But as far as, you know, growing up in my fandom, it's hard to be 89 and 97. 
Uh, Richard Lowe's, two questions. One, give us one major announcement for StarCast 4. All right, I'll think about that while you ask me the other question. And two, can you get Tony Khan to do a meet and greet at StarCast? I don't think so. Uh, if we do a StarCast where it's not a crazy pay-per-view weekend, maybe so. We would have to do it all for charity. Obviously, he's not looking for the payday like a lot of the boys are. Uh, but no, as of yet, he's he's seen some StarCasts on fight, I think. I don't think he's ever actually attended one, unless he was in and out of the first one. Because, you know, for two and three, he's got the biggest shows he's ever ran the very next day. So it's all hands on deck for him. But as far as a, a big reveal, I will tell you that uh, Tony Schiavone's birthday is that Thursday, November 7th. So we're going to have uh, the biggest birthday bash in the history of our sport. Okay, for Tony Schiavone. Who's popping, out, who's popping out of the cake? Well, you'll have to tune in on Fight to find out, I guess. Very good. Let, let's just touch on StarCast for a minute there, too. Um, you've invited me a couple of times. It didn't work out schedule-wise. I appreciate it. But um, conceptually, how did it come to be? And... Is it madness to try and run? Yes. The first one was madness. The second one was madness. This third one was actually enjoyable. Uh, I was sort of walking around every day like, Hey, uh, what's going wrong? Like nothing, nothing bad's happening. Nothing's <laughs> falling apart. Not, there's no fire to put out. Yeah, this was the smoothest, most enjoyable one yet by far. So it was kind of easy to sell me on doing for, and that actually came together very quickly. Um, Someone asked me to, to do it on Friday. I said, I would think about it. And then Saturday was so easy. I said, okay, I'll do it. But then I had no venue and I had to find all of that, you know, between Sunday and Monday, which is a holiday. So we could announce it on Tuesday, but I managed to do it. So, uh, it's fun and it's rewarding for sure. But, uh, the first two, maybe not so enjoyable. The original concept though, was to do a wrestling podcast convention in place of Greg Price's NWA Legends Fan Fest. He quit running. Right. 2016 was his last one. And so when he wasn't going to do one in 2017, I thought, hey, Bruce, this would be fun for us. Ric Flair has a podcast. Kevin Sullivan has one. Jim Cornette has one. Eric Bischoff has one. Tony Schiavone's about to have one. We could just get all of our podcasts together and do a series of stage shows and then have guests on those shows and have a room where we did meet and greets at vendor tables with those same guys and make it a full experience for the fans. And Bruce thought that was the worst fucking idea he had ever heard. Uh, so I just sort of shelved the idea when the hotel didn't have the space fast forward and, uh, bumped into Cody at uh, international baggage claim last January. And I knew they were planning a big show and I pitched it. He liked the idea. The bucks liked the idea and dark house was born. And financially it's, it's working. Oh yeah. Yeah. We, Hugely successful at one, two, the costs of doing something in a union town are a lot greater than I anticipated going in. We were still profitable, but not nearly as profitable as we may have hoped. But three, we were back in the same venue, and this time, you know, I had a, a much better handle on what I was doing logistically from line control and just management of the crowd and just the humanity. Uh, so, yeah, one and three were, were very, very, very successful. Two was profitable, but you know, we're not going out and writing checks for new cars after two. That's for sure. What's next, uh, Conrad? Who we uh, who are we going to scoop up, throw on the air, and get a job up at the Fed up in Connecticut? Who can we get? Arn Anderson. We uh, we announced that Arn was doing a podcast with me, and 
Uh, three months later, he was given spine busters on AEW pay-per-view. So I'm hoping that he line he lines up a job and winds up uh, landing with AEW in a full-time spot. But he'll be doing a podcast with me later this September, and I guess I'll have three guys on the AEW side. Hopefully, Arn goes there, and two guys on the WWE side. So it'll be a fun ride. Conrad, where can we find you? Where can we reach out and uh, shout at you? Uh, Twitter is at hey hey it's Conrad, and I'd uh, love to have your following, your interaction there. If you want to uh, come to the convention, it's going down November seventh through the tenth in Baltimore, right before AEW's Full Gear pay per view. You can find out all about that at Starcast.com, and there's two R's in Starcast, just like there were in Starcade. And uh, yeah, my podcasts are everywhere. You enjoy them. Uh, Fridays at noon is something to wrestle. Mondays is Eric Bischoff with 83 weeks. Tuesday will be Arn Anderson. Wednesday is Tony Schiavone with What Happened When. And Thursday is Grilling J.R., Jim Ross. So we've got something for you five days a week. Is there a science to dropping a podca- a new podcast on the right day? I mean, I know you can access them whenever, but a podcast that debuts on a Tuesday versus a Thursday? I think um, lots of advertisers who have big pushes for weekend events. So if you're trying to sell the pay-per-view boxing match, or you're trying to run a holiday weekend car sale or, you know, those type. it matters from an advertising standpoint. I don't know necessarily that it matters from a download standpoint. I do know that an early AM drop gets you more downloads. So when my, my full network is complete and I've got five days a week, I'll push all of their, their drops to 6 a.m. So it'll be consistent five days a week, 6 a.m. or maybe 5 a.m., whatever. Just very, very early so people can enjoy it on their morning commute. And obviously none of my shows are 20 minutes or whatever the average commute is, but they can at least get it started right that way. And, and that seems to have worked well. Very good. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, man, and good luck with your podcast. I, uh, I'll i be listening. I, I love everything you do, and I'm glad you're in the space now. This interview is brought to you by the Terry Garvin Driving School, where everyone drives stick. All right, I want to thank uh, Conrad for coming on. That was, a, that was a great meeting of the minds. Serious. Both kind of do the same thing. Try to Try to find nuggets of entertainment in the wrestling aftermarket. All right, I said I would take some of your Twitter questions, and uh, here they are. Uh, Derek Aitken, who's the most difficult interview you've had and why? The most difficult interviews for me are the ones with guys that are or gals that are just not, not forthcoming enough. They don't look like they're having a good time. I'm really good at disarming someone, you know, within a few minutes of the interview. They're usually comfortable. Their posture changes and things are rolling. But, you know, sometimes it's just you just can't crack somebody. So the the China you shoot was was pretty awful. I, I in her defense, she was she flew in from L.A. and she was they were like stuck on the tarmac for like five hours they said so and we got her like 12 or one o'clock in the morning so the last thing she probably did was want to talk to my stupid ass for two hours but um i just wish she didn't look like that was the case oh sure sure let's see 
Uh, Salvatore Martone, as an actor, what advice would you give to a wrestler about cutting a promo? Very good question. Promos are essentially soliloquies and monologues. Salvatore goes on to say, I'm sure there is something wrestlers could learn from actors. All right, there's something that I can teach you and then something that I can't teach you. The first thing I can teach you is just to believe what you're saying. That's the first thing. If you don't believe it, we don't believe it. That's number whether you're on a stage or it, it's even more crucial for wrestlers or television slash film actors because the camera is so close. All right, we're right up where the audience is five inches from your face. So I know if you don't believe what you're telling me. So we can see it as in a wrestler, too. Even if fans don't know that's what the problem is, that's the problem. No one believes you. You're not going to hurt anybody tonight. Look at you. So believe what you're saying is the advice that I can give. The thing that you can't give, and it's, it's cruel, but it is consistent in all levels of entertainment. There are just some people that are much more interesting to look at. It's a horrible thing to say. We're all led to believe that if we, whatever field we choose to go into with our lives, if we work hard, if we put in the time, then we will reap the rewards. Well, unfortunately, when you're the product, there's times, there's just, they call it the X factor, you know, it just, some people just click. Some people are just interesting to look at. People like Marilyn Monroe or James Dean, They just, the camera loved them. So that's a tough thing, and I can't teach it. No one can teach it. It's what guys like Piper had, Morocco. All the guys that you hear are credited with cutting the best promos. That was a big part of it. They believed it. I believed Morocco. I believed Flair. But, um, you know, I probably believed Ronnie Garvin also. But it was just... There's a magnetism that didn't come through the camera. I believed Ricky Steamboat. There was a magnetism that didn't come through the camera. It's 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 messed up to say. But it's true. Some people just much more interesting to look at and listen to. It's an X factor. Uh, another question from Salvatore M. Who is your Marshall McLuhan? There's a reference for you. You know the scene in Annie Hall. What name do you consistently hear get thrown around by people in your social circle who have no idea what that person is about? Cassavetes, Bob Dylan, that hack John Cazale, Jim Barnett. I don't know. I don't even know how to answer that. It's I'm, I'm far too tired to even do that. Uh, DFB, why'd you stop doing shoot interviews? Well, this is kind of a shoot interview, isn't it? I'm kind of going to be interviewing people here. There's nothing to say you won't see me on camera doing the same things. Just on a little break. Uh, Let's see. Okay, ZBR, why do you always talk about dicks? Otherwise, very pro. See, this is the thing. It doesn't matter how many fucking shows I do. It doesn't matter how many timelines I put out. Bruno Sammartino, Harley Race. I'm just going to go down the list of guys that have been on my shows. Harley Race, Bruno Sammartino, you know, Tito Santana, Eric Bischoff. But you're going to talk about 
the you shoot question. It wasn't even asked by me, anyone that doesn't know this. The series we have you shoot, fans send in questions. And somebody on, actually it was somebody from the Figure Four Weekly or Wrestling Observer, those are wrestling news websites, their message board, they would ask in every edition of the show, they would ask, how big is Batista's dick? I asked it the first time, it showed up again, and then it just became a thing. I, yeah, I could ignore the question. Anthony could have just not included it, but it became a thing, right? It's like playing rock and roll all, uh, uh, rock and roll all night. It's your kiss. It's expected. Am I going to get up there and not do it? Am I not going to break the guitar? How big is Batista's dick? I don't care. It's the asking of the question. It's the reaction of the person to whom I've just asked the question. I assume that's why it's entertaining. Now, you know what? I've got to I got to have an honest moment here. I, I we talk about we talk about dick. We talk about dick. Now, too cold Scorpio I have on. The guy is hung like an elk, okay? It's it's known throughout the business. People talk about talk about he's called baby arm by those that know him. There's the Todd is God story where he was using his appendage to whip. Listen, it's out there. It's out there. And I have Scorpio on the show. I'm not going to ask him. I'm not going to ask him. You kidding me? Uh, who else? I don't know. That was a Listen, I did a whole edition of uh, Guest Booker with Robert Fuller, who's, I, I mean, the, the guy's a tripod apparently. I didn't ask one question. Wasn't the right show. How to talk about booking with Mr. Fuller. All right. If you want to know where to find me, get me on Twitter, KFabeSean. This podcast on Twitter is at KFabeP, like for podcasts. Hit us up. Let us know what you like, what you didn't like. Am I going to, I don't know. Am I, I don't even know if I'm going to pay attention to it. But you can do it. You can send it. This has been a production of Sean Oliver Media. Copyright 2019. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed by Creative Commons Attribution. I'll leave it dirt. You'll get you next time.